the story is told, um, I hope it's true. A man who owned a grain elevator in a town was asked to become the treasurer of his church. And he said, uh, okay, I'll become the treasurer of your church. Only two conditions. The first year, there will be no treasurer's report. None whatsoever, the first year. And no questions during that first year. None whatsoever. At the end of that um, first year, as the second year began, he gave his treasurer's report, and he reported, first, our church indebtedness of $228,000 has been paid off. Secondly, our pastor's salary has been increased by 8%. Third, our mission's support has doubled. We have no outstanding bills, and we have a cash balance of $11,252. People gasped, of course. How? How in the world did this happen? He said, well, most of you bring grain to my elevator. You guys catch on so quickly. This year, I withheld 10% of your, on your behalf, and I gave it to the church in your name. Did anyone miss it? Just think what we could do for the Lord if we were all willing to give at least 10% to God who really owns it all. I hope that really happened somewhere. You know, Jesus spoke an awful lot about money. Um, he told his followers to sell their told one of his followers to sell their possessions, give to the poor. He cautioned his followers to lay up uh, treasures elsewhere and not on earth. He told stories about rich people who went to hell. He warned of eternal damnation waiting those who don't help the very poor. A few statistics of 31,000 plus verses in the Bible, 2,350 are in money and possessions at 7.5%. Figured out. One-fourth of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is about money. One of seven verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are about money. One-third of all of Jesus' parables are about money and possessions. 15% of all that he said was about money two times more than what he said about prayer and faith combined. Must have been important to him. He must have had some things to say to people about money. We're going to look at a couple of those passages this morning. You would turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. What is the date today? 15th? 16th. Missed it. In two months, it will be April 15th. National holiday, right? <laughs> Tax time. Jesus honored both tithes and taxes. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. 
Okay. Um, Pharisees, in their own minds, were fair, you see. All right? They were well off. They kept the law and uh, standing in good favor with God by all that they did, they thought. Who were the Herodians? Well, how does the word Herodian start? Herod. They were supportive of Herod. Um, most Jews in the land of Israel just hated the fact that, that Rome was over them. They were, uh, they were under the Roman culture, under the Roman army. So we have the Pharisees and we have the Herodians going to Jesus. And, Jesus, and, and Matthew tells us they sent their, their disciples and their teachers to Jesus and they said this, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinions for you are not swayed by appearance, appearances. Uh, the word there, appearances, is before the face of. You, you, don't, you don't back down before the face of anyone. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Man, I, I read these pages and feel like I almost feel the butter on there. Oh, they were trying to butter him up. You see that? Oh, you're a, you teach true and you teach faithfully. and Oh, they were laying it on thick. They intended to trap him. They intended to plot him. The trap would be, here's the Pharisees who say, Rome, get out of our country. We don't owe you anything. And here's the Herodians saying, uh, Herod is right. The government is right to take our taxes. So how's Jesus going to please everybody? He didn't really care about pleasing anybody. But they were going to, they had planned to, and plotted to trap him. So how does he answer? Verse, verse 18, but Jesus, aware of their malices, malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Two words give us a little hint here about what's going on in Jesus' mind. He knew their malice. He, he knew from within. He, he knew, some people say God gave up all his uh, attributes, or Jesus gave up all his attributes. Now he knew. He knew their heart. And he called them hypocrites. You are play acting. You're, you're, pretending, you're pretending that you're really interested in this, but you're not. You're only trying to trap me. So he said, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarii. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And of course, they had to look over the coin and they saw that um, Caesar's face was on there. Oh, <laughs> as if they'd never caught on before. They said, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He said that in reverse order than I would have. I, I would have said, look, you guys, put God first, right? The question was, should we pay our taxes? He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. And they went away grumbling and, and upset and mad, right? When they heard it, they marveled. 
they marveled. We haven't heard this kind of teaching. We haven't heard these kinds of words from anyone before. They marveled at his teaching. They went there to trap him. He taught duty and a moral obligation to, to both. God ordained government and a rightful place for human government. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, so pay your taxes. Now, I'm sure when we hear that Jesus said, pay, pay your taxes, we start coming up with all of those um, immoral uses for our taxes. And we say, well, shouldn't we have some kind of revolt if, if we all withheld uh, the amount of taxes, the amount of money, for instance, that the government gives to certain organizations to, to carry on uh, abortions? Shouldn't we withhold that? Or many people have been against armed aggression, and so. Well, we need to withhold that. Um, there's, a, there's a place for civil, civil disobedience. Jesus didn't say anything about it here. But there is a place for civil disobedience. Along with civil disobedience is the punishment that comes along with it. If I am willing to be civilly disobedient, then I must also be, bear, be willing to bear the consequence that goes along with it. By the way, the, the role of the government, according to Scripture, uh, is to safeguard um, freedom of religion, belief, so that there will be peace in a country, so that we may live in peace, Scripture says. Um, there's a problem when the church identifies itself with, well, in our country, with certain parties or with certain rulers, in various nations, the, the church has a responsibility to remind the government of its responsibility. That's the church's role. And when we align with one or another, we lose the opportunity to speak to everyone. Every time we read something in Scripture, we, we, we have to make an interpretation of it, and sometimes our interpretations are very narrow because they cover our culture, our place. When Scripture speaks, it speaks a universal truth. And so what Jesus says here to us about paying taxes and giving God what we owe God, it says to the people of Haiti. It says to the, to the people of Europe says to the people of Africa. It's a universal truth. Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Now we got to sort out what's Caesar's, what's God's. What rightfully belongs to Caesar. In fact, when uh, Israel in the Old Testament started to demand a king, God said uh, to Samuel, okay, they want a king, but you remind them that when they get a king, the king will tax them like crazy. He will, he will inscript their sons to fight in the battles. This is what a king does. These are the rights of a king. That's what's going to happen. And it happened. So today, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God the things that belong to God's. And he taught both the Pharisees and the Herodians to honor God, put them in their place. So God honors both 
tithing, what we give to God, and taxes, what we give to government. There's another account that 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 uh, that teaches us about Jesus' attitude toward money. It's found in Mark chapter 12. There are parallels in a couple of the uh, Gospels, but Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse um, 41. In fact, I'm going to back up a little bit, verse 38. In his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. They have the best seats in the synagogues. By the way, the best seats, just to let you know, we're up front. Just, just, just putting that out there, okay? <laughs> and they love the places of honor at feasts. And they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Who are the scribes? A scribe is a writer. They are the ones who were um, earlier given the the responsibility of of scribing, of writing the scripture, but they are in these days, um, along with the priests, the interpreter of scripture. They are the teachers and the interpreters of scripture. But Jesus said, beware of them. They are supposed to be your teachers, but beware. They like... They like being known and shown, and they they wear these long, conspicuous robes, and they like greetings in the marketplace. Here's a person of importance. Um, the best seats in the synagogues and, and the places of honor, of feasts. They love all that stuff. They also devour widows' houses. Meaning what? Well, they controlled the banking and the marketing and... Uh, Widow can't pay her, her mortgage. They take her house. They put her out on the streets. At the same time, they have a pretense for making long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So that's, that's Jesus' understanding of and teaching the people about the scribes, his warning to them. But then in verse 41, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus, you're not supposed to watch what people give. One hand isn't supposed to know what the other hand. He sat and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. Um, I did some work on that. Um, A denarii was a day's wage. This was about one-sixty-fourth of a day's wage. A poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. How do you call that more? You see, more, the amount, isn't measured by amount. It's measured by proportion. 
This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box for, because, he explained it, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she has to live on. What was the proportion that she gave? 100%. What was the proportion these others gave? Jesus was watching them put in money, and many rich people put in large sums. What was their proportion? We don't know. But it didn't impress Jesus. These are one of the few times when Jesus was amazed, and he called his elders, uh, uh, he called his disciples. And I'm, I'm sure sitting there, the disciples... Would, would see the, the wealthy putting in money and go, oh, wow, wow. They were impressed. Imagine when the lady put in a couple of small coins, hardly worth it. They, they chuckle, they hide their, hide their laughter. Jesus taught them a lesson. Is it a contribution or is it a sacrifice? You measure how much is left. It's an old story, and I'm I'm sure that you've um, all heard it. But there was a church dinner being given, and um, actually a breakfast in honor of the pastor, and they were going to have ham and eggs. That involves a pig and a chicken. So the pig and the chicken were discussing their contribution to the ham and eggs. And said the pig to the chicken, for you it's a contribution, for me it's a sacrifice. I wonder how we relate the pig and the chicken to how we're giving today. How much are we giving? There are, there are so many um, words of the New Testament that, that guide our giving. We'll get to some of those. It's not just amount. Okay, It's not just amount. But here, Jesus is impressed because a contribution is not measured by the amount, but proportion, how much is left. I'm going to go to a third uh, passage, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 8. Jesus has shown himself to honor both tithe and taxes, what we give to God and what give to Caesar, Caesar. He has honored sacrificial giving by showing his amazement at the, at the woman's little amount she gave, but it was 100%. And now he honors generous giving. Uh, chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give. Now, uh, let's look up here. He 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 has four four verbs here. Here's how you you conduct yourself. Uh, do not judge and do not condemn. That's not your place. Uh, ours is not to to avenge or get even with. Don't don't judge. Don't condemn. Folks, even we who have been born again, 
by the blood of Jesus Christ, um, that doesn't give us a right to condemn or to judge others. But Jesus says, here is your place. You forgive. And you will be forgiven. And give. What did he say about giving? Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you again. With the, with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you again. So God says, put $10 in the offering plate and I'll give you 100 back, right? No. He doesn't do that to us. Um, is God's return to us monetary sometimes? How does He give back? Um, Families, relationships, uh, knowing about forgiveness, the blessing that that is. He doesn't always give back the same measure. Let's go back to that forgive. He said, forgive and it will be forgiven you. Withhold forgiveness. Hmm. Jesus, in teaching us to pray, taught us to ask for God's forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. That's talking about a measure. And the measure that we forgive others, forgive us. And then Jesus added, for if you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Why? I thought God forgave us of everything. Well, our heart is in no shape to, for, to receive forgiveness. Our heart is in no shape to, to, to seek that blessing if we have an attitude of, we're not going to forgive him. I'm not going to forgive him ever. The heart can't receive forgiveness. So with the same measure, give. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. That's, that's the way of the kingdom. Don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given back to you. It's like God is saying, just how much can I pack into this guy's life? Just how much blessing can I press down upon him? Depends on the attitude, willingness. This is from the, ver from the passage I read earlier. When God said to Israel, you're robbing me, but here's the remedy. Here's the remedy. Here's what you do. I want you to bring the full tithe into my storehouse. And as we talked about that a few weeks ago, um, the storehouse was that place where they brought, uh, brought in their money, their extra, their resources, so they could take care of the widow the orphan, the poor. So in other words, when they were withholding the money, they weren't just withholding from God. They were withholding and, and um, they're withholding from the community and preventing blessing upon the community. They were robbing from each other. God said, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you 
a blessing until there is no more need. Remember when you were younger and you just wanted to be nice to everybody in the family and serve everybody in the family and it came to the day for dad's birthday. Got to buy dad something. I got nothing in my pockets. I don't have any money. Where did you get the money? You went and you asked dad. Dad, can I have some money? What for? I just need some money. I really need it. I had kind of a reputation in my family. Boy, I could make a dollar go further than anybody else. All kinds of uh, stuff. Trinkets. I got it from Dad. Isn't that the way with God? All we have came from Him who is our Father. All we have to give is from Him and he owns it all. It's not as if, okay, I'll give him 10%. He still owns the 90. So as we shared last week, we are careful about what we do with the 90, that we honor him with that also. So from these three confrontations, these three episodes that Jesus had, uh, regarding the confrontation with the Pharisees, Jesus honors the tithe and taxes. So I'm taught to give willingly. I'm taught to give willingly of my taxes. I'm taught to give willingly to God and to have the discernment. Do I give willingly or when it's pride away? And again, how do I give to God? Well, church needs, uh, the naked, the hungry, the sick. Does that grip of materialism prevent me from willing giving? From observing the woman giving, I give sacrificially. Again, sacrifice is measured by proportion, not amount. By what I give and by what I keep. That's how God measures. And finally, from the... The, the confrontation and just teaching others and instructing them about how to live and how to give. Jesus honors generous giving, so I learn to give generously. You know, we, we like to talk these days about investment and where it's where's the best place to invest and where I can get the best return for my for my investment in what organization or in what uh, what uh, bank where do I put my money what's the best investment and we hire people to check that out for us we want the very best return that's not bad at all but Just remember, it is God, not First Bank. And I am not referring to any specific bank, okay? It is God, not First Bank, that offers the greatest return on investment. Always, always. 
you find someone who is uh, able to outgive God, let me know. I'd like to visit. Father, thank you for so much. As we heard from the lips of a child, from a young man this morning, regarding his experience in Haiti, we are wealthy. You've blessed us beyond measure. So how should we give back to you? We are to give generously. We are to give willingly. We are to give joyfully. We are to give sacrificially. And Father, I think that one, one, one thing that stands in our way, one thing that keeps us from that, not the idea of hoarding and all of that stuff, but one thing that keeps us from that is our low view of who you are. You are a great God. And you're able to return our investment so much more. So make us willing to invest in people, people that you love. Make us willing to invest in what you have provided for us and who you are. In Christ's name, 